Well, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Uh, everybody celebrate Valentine's Day together. If you are if you're coupled up, I hope that, that, that you had a beautiful Valentine's Day. This was a special Valentine's Day for my wife Lauren and I. This was our 20th Valentine's Day together. 20. Oh my gosh. Uh, but this was all this is this is that moment. I realized that we have had more Valentine's Days together. I've had more with Lauren than I've had apart from her. And so that was kind of this like, wow, moment. So I was thinking about what, what am I going to do for this Valentine's Day, 20th Valentine's Day. Lauren and I knew that that was here. And, and uh, then Lauren said, hey, here's what I want. I don't want to go out and like fight reservations and fight the crowds. I, let's like get some awesome food, make sure the kids have Lunchables upstairs because we treat our kids right. And uh <laughs> And, and, and we're going to, like, cook together and be together and watch a movie and, and chill at the house. So, you know, I, I, went to the, I went to H-E-B, love H-E-B, got all the food, and then I'm walking out. I'm like, oh, I need to do flowers, right? So I get, I, I get some flowers, uh, purple flowers are our thing. And so I get some flowers and, and bring them home and get them set up in, that, in that, that one crystal vase that some, like, really fancy-schmancy person bought us at our wedding, right, and uh, set them on the, the, the island in the kitchen. So we're, 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 we're setting up, and we're cooking, and we're enjoying our time. The kids are eating Lunchables, and uh, Addie, my daughter, uh, who's 15, her boyfriend, shows up to the house uh, to pick her up for their Valentine's Day. This is their first Valentine's together. And whenever, whenever Addie comes to the door, she opens the door, and for first Valentine's Day, there is a box this big off the ground, sitting there with a big stuffed animal on top of the box. The, the stuffed animal was not the thing in the box. But, and then he was holding a vase of flowers. And so Addie brings the stuff inside. And before Addie, uh, before Addie leaves, she has the audacity to walk in and interrupt my date with my wife, my date with Lauren. And she comes in and she places her flowers next to Lauren's flowers on the island. And I turn around and look back and I say, 20 years? First Valentine's Day. And I think to myself, man, I am pathetic. Fortunately, it's not about the flowers, it's about the love, amen? And so, uh, or maybe it is about the flowers, I need to step it up. Um. Many of us, whenever we get married, we have a, a very specific passage of Scripture read at our, at our weddings, and, and, and the pastors preach on and teach on it. It's a very common passage. It comes in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, and, and specifically verse 4 uh, through the beginning of verse 8 is, is what many of us heard on our wedding days. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but, reje- but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And, and I don't know about you, but, but 20 years of Valentine's Days in, whenever I hear that passage of Scripture, I feel like a failure. I, I don't read that and think, wow, isn't that awesome? You know, from, from the time I was there on my wedding day until now, check. I checked the box. Love never angers. It never fails. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not self-seeking. Got it. Check. Victory. Mine. Right? That's not, 
what I do when I read that passage is, is I feel as though I so extraordinarily fall short of that image of love. I'm, I'm convicted by the truth that, that I am not as much like that love as I should be and want to be and by all accounts need to be. But I could carry that, uh, that reading of the passage of Scripture, I could carry that with shame, with frustration, with guilt. Uh, I, could, I could allow myself to be riddled in it uh, and, and just kind of uh, soak in it. Or I could understand and, and step back for a moment and say that this is the kind of love that Jesus has shown for us. And it is a kind of love that we are to walk in and to step into knowing that we, not just I, but knowing that we all fall short of that. You see, that's the universality of our brokenness, of humanity's brokenness. It's not just the brokenness of creation that we focused on last week, and it's not only the, the, the brokenness that we have as individuals that we'll focus on next week, but, but we sit there so much in our individual brokenness that we are incapable of seeing how universally known how universally true it is that we are broken. And I, I find it compelling how Paul articulates this in, in Ephesians for us. In both of these passages, he, he, he focuses our attention in on, uh, on both sin as individuals, but as uh, humanity's brokenness as well. Whenever I'm coaching uh, uh, kind of new preachers, uh, folks that are they're, they're just beginning the work of preaching. One of the things I, I make sure to say is, hey, whenever you're preaching, there are going to be times when you're speaking to y'all. When, you, when, you're, when, when you're hitting the everyone in the room and, and you're offering this for you, for everyone. But then there are other moments in a, in a sermon or in a message whenever you are literally preaching to a single soul in the room. And I've, I've heard some of you say, uh, as you walked out the door, Pastor Jason, you were speaking specifically to me today. And sometimes that's true and sometimes that's not. But, but, but in all ways, the Holy Spirit is doing that work. And he does that work whenever the Lord compels the one who is preaching or proclaiming the good news to direct the attention of the word to a very specific individual level. And that's what Paul does in Ephesians 2. I want you to hear how he opens up. He says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions. That's not a plural. That's not a, for, that, that, that's not, that's not a, I'm speaking to everyone in the room. That's, I am speaking to you. As for you, you're dead in your transgressions. And it allows each of us to receive that weightiness, that truth on a personal level for us to allow that to sink into the depths of our souls so that we could realize that it is for us, it is truth for us. It's, it's something that, that needs to resonate deeply within us as for you, singular, individual, gospel truth for you. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions. 
But then, as, as Paul is writing this, I could, I could just sense, I could, I could feel that, that he is experiencing the truth of that for himself as well. That just as he pointed that statement to someone and drew it into an individual, he then felt it come back to himself as an individual. And whenever he experienced it, he then broadened it out and had to open it up for us. In, in verse 3, it says it like this, all of us also have been there, have understood and experienced the death that is in our transgressions. Us, our, we, all. That's how Paul builds this case in chapter 2. Paul builds a similar case in chapter 6, which, which Megan read for us as well. And in chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, uh, we, we have, we have a, a different spin on it, a different turn on it. In chapter 2, he starts with the individual and gets to the all of us. But, but in, in chapter 6, Paul has a little bit of Texan in him. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying. Whenever you know you have become Texan, you start frequently using the word y'all, right? So if you're from somewhere else, you know that, that the moment hit, you're in a casual conversation, and you say, y'all, and you're like, I did it, I'm Texan, yay, right? Like, like that's, if you're not there yet, one day you will be blessed as well. Um, I mean that. Uh, in verse 11 here, uh, Paul uses that y'all language. I'm going to read it as written, and then I'm going to give you the text. It says, put on the full, is more appropriately aligned with the Greek that, that, is, that it is originally written in. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The you and the you're there are not singular. The you and the you're there are plural in the Greek. And so a better translation would be, y'all need to stand up to the devil by putting on the armor of God. Y'all need to stand up to the devil by putting on the armor of God. Now, some of you are shocked because uh, you thought you were in a Methodist church and didn't know the word devil could be used in the Methodist church. We repent of that, Lord. Uh, uh, the word devil is used in scripture. The word devil is used by uh, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. And so we, we, we do understand that there are spiritual forces at work, which we'll say more about in a few moments. But here in this, in this, in this moment, Paul is making a similar argument to chapter 2, resonating deeply there. But he's doing it by addressing the y'all and not just the individual. And as he does it, he says, says y'all need to stand up to the devil. And just as it was in chapter 2, as he's proclaiming and he feels the compelling work of the Lord within him and saying, no, 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 it's not just y'all, it's me as well. I am y'all. We are together in this. He then comes in verse 12 and says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I am in this with you. Y'all need to fight the devil. I need to fight the devil. We together must fight the devil. And he puts himself deeply into that story, that truth. 
there's, there's two things that, that unite these two passages. And I want you to see that in chapter 2, it's, it's kind of an intro to, to the, the work that, that Paul has for the community of faith in Ephesus because he, he went through his introductions, his greetings, his I'm praying for you stuff that is all extraordinary and important in chapter 1. And he's going to close it up with, hey, I commend to you and I send to you and all this stuff at the end of Ephesians chapter 6 in final greetings. But, but in chapter 2 and chapter 6, the beginning of 2 and the beginning of 6, he is framing the work of the entire letter to the Ephesians. All of Ephesus needs to hear this. And so he is saying, you are dead in your transgressions. We have all experienced that pain. Y'all need to fight the devil. We fight the devil in this way. And he's binding these two things together with some truths. That there are spiritual forces at work against us. And there are evil powers in this world that must be fought. Now y'all are really confused about being in a Methodist church. But let me back up for a moment. Whenever, Whenever we come here and someone comes to be baptized, we ask them a series of questions. And the first question is particularly potent and weighty. Whenever students come to be confirmed in the faith, we ask them questions. And that first question is yet the same. Whenever uh, someone professes their faith for the first time, we ask questions. And that first question is the same. Whenever anybody joins this church, Covenant Methodist Church, and, and whenever we stand together, that first question is there ringing in our ears every single time. Because it is so important that we understand the power that is there for us in Jesus. But it has to start not just only with our individual sin, but what we are united together in in the brokenness of humanity. We ask the question, it says, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin. And boy, I tell you, every time we ask that question, I just want to shout, I do, because I need to say it over daily I need to say it every moment I need to say it that I am going to be about that work and it's not just the end of that that seems so much easier for us to be centered on because we are we, we, we are naturally self-centered and so we hear uh, and reject uh, and repent of our sin and we think yes I'm sinful I'm walking in the way of sin. I'm going to repent of it. And I'm going to turn. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do the other thing. We're going to talk about that next week. But there are there is power in the first two questions that we need to pull out of ourselves and understand that we are bound together in the biblical truth that there are spiritual forces of wickedness and evil powers of this world that we renounce and we reject. Period. It's in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 6. Look at it here. If you're in Ephesians 2, you'll see, uh, you'll see actually, I want to do 6 first. I almost messed that up. We're going to do chapter 6 first. Here, here's, here's what we're going to do. Chapter 6, it says, y'all need to stand against the devil. I'm going to stand with you. Our struggle is against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world the powers of this dark world the evil powers of this world do you reject the evil powers of this world and then it says 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That these are spiritual forces. That, that, that the reason why we, we, we struggle with this is because we like to talk in the physical. We like to talk in, in, in the things that can be concretely named or understood. The things that we could grasp or that we could relate to in an interpersonal way. But it's more than that. Uh, Paul describes it in this way, in a spiritual way, so that we could understand that there, that there, there is a spiritual activity that is driving us away from God. And that that exists both in this world and in the spirit. It's not just the physical, but it's also the spiritual. Ephesians 2 lays it out in this way. So one spends uh, more time uh, on the world and less time on the spiritual. And one flips it because we want to be sure that we get plenty of work on both. In verse 2 it says, you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So just to say a word about this spiritual force of wickedness, I think Paul makes it a little easier for us to grasp here. We struggle with it. We wonder what is a spiritual force of wickedness. And, and we oftentimes uh, use the biblical name Satan or devil to appropriate to it or demonic forces or demons. And all of that is fair and good. But what is the purpose of the devil? What is the function or, 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 the, or the, the work that these demonic forces are about that we need to understand and address? And here's, here's the crux of it. Paul gives it to us. He says, he says that it's about the work of disobedience. A spiritual force of wickedness is something that is leading you to disobey God. If God is leading in love, is leading in relationship, is, is leading in grace and truth and mercy, both to walk it out as an individual, but to walk it out in, in your life, he is, also, he is also guiding all of us in the way of salvation, but these spiritual forces are working against those things, leading us to disobey God. So now whenever we ask, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, you can say, I know what that is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's spiritual things that want me to disobey God. I'm not about that. And then you can say it with conviction, I do, right? Evil powers of this world it describes them as authorities in chapter 6. It describes them uh, as rulers, and it describes them as dark. And I want you to hear those things. These dark presence, the dark presence that exists in the world will disguise itself as truth, will disguise itself as power, will disguise itself as something that is to be followed. But it is the darkness, it is not the light. It is actively working contrary to the light that is Jesus Christ, that is put in us through our salvation. And so these are things that, that we're to understand aren't just about us individually. And it's not just about y'all, it's about all of us 
And we together must see that, that it's not just my brokenness at stake here, but it's our brokenness that is true. It's not just my fight against spiritual forces of wickedness. It's not just my fight against evil powers of this world, but it's our fight, the work that we all are, are in entering into together. And if we, if we understand that it's not just mine, but it's all of ours, then it leads us to, to a different way of living and a different way of acting. We must step out together. I, I got myself uh, in trouble in my house, and I haven't figured out how to quite get uh, it resolved. Maybe y'all can help me out. If you have ideas on the way out, then... So, uh, so I have three kids. I have a 15-year-old, 14-year-old, and a 7-year-old. And if you have three kids, you understand that when you get to the third, you're tired. And, uh, and you don't engage uh, with the third on the same level or in the same things that you did with your first and your second. And so that's where Lauren and I are, and, and I've gotten myself in trouble. You, specifically when it comes to the why question. So when Addie and Aiden were, were growing up, I, uh, they would say, why, 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 why? And you would try to attempt to reason, communicate, articulate the why so that they would understand the why. And so you would, you would explain yourself to them, and then eventually you would give up and you would say, just because, right? Um, not, not with Sam. So, so Sam, Sam has, has gotten in the habit of saying why, and I am in the habit of responding with a particular cue. So, uh, so he says, Dad, why can't we have McDonald's? And I'll say, because Jesus wants us to have Whataburger. <laughs> and then... And then, uh, you know, he'll say, uh, Daddy, why do I have to go to sleep? Because Jesus wants you to go to sleep. Uh, Daddy, why, uh, why do we have to have broccoli? Because Jesus wants you to have broccoli. And so this is what I say all the time for everything. Anytime the word why comes out of Sam's mouth. Because Jesus said so. So, so here's the problem, right? So, so Sam likes to sneak out of his room and steal food. That's like his, his shtick. It's his thing. He's seven. And so, uh, you know, we go shopping. We tuck him in bed. We all go to sleep. The next morning, we wake up and we find stuff. That's what he does. He goes down to the pantry. He goes into the refrigerator. He finds stuff. So we bought uh, a 40-count a, a pack of the Welch's fruit snacks. And, uh, and so one morning I go upstairs and I'm, I'm waking him up and I see the evidence and I, I look underneath the bed because he's smart enough to hide it. I look underneath the bed and there are 40 empty wrappers of fruit snacks and an entire empty box all underneath the bed. And I say, say to Sam, as I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm picking it up, I'm throwing it in the trash, Sam, why did you go get the fruit snacks out of the pantry last night? And he says, because Jesus told me to. And now it's a thing. 
thing, like in our household, Addie and Aiden and Sam and Lauren and I, anytime someone asks why, we now start saying, because Jesus said so. And I don't know how to stop it. So if you have any ideas, help me out. To be quite honest, I don't know if every time Jesus does say to go to Whataburger or to go to bed or any of the other specific things that we talk about, but I do know that Jesus does have a few things for us. And I want you to hear this day that Jesus does say to all of us, to walk out our life of faith in a small group. Jesus says to you and to me to walk out our faith in a small group. For many of us, we enjoy coming to worship, and worship is, 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 is a joyful experience of the Holy Spirit Sunday after Sunday, and praise God for that. But I want you to know that God did not design you, did not design me, us, to walk out our faith in large group worship alone. God invites, calls, compels, says to you to be a, smart, a, a part of a smaller group of disciples. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, we hear this understanding of who is, uh, who is God as, as, as love. And we get the example from Jesus. And then uh, we hear clearly that whoever claims to live in Jesus must walk as Jesus walked, must live as Jesus lived. And if we want to live as Jesus lived, we got to look back to the Gospel of Matthew, to the beginning of the work of ministry, and see that the very first thing that Jesus does is he gathers up a group of men, a small group of disciples, to journey in faith with them. Does Jesus need to walk with a small group of other people? Jesus, God made flesh, divine amongst humankind. Does Jesus need a small group? No. Does Jesus walk with a small group? Yes. And Jesus calls us to that same activity. In John chapter 17, he sends out his disciples and says, do this, practice what we've been practicing out in the world. So I want you to hear that you do not have to battle spiritual forces of wickedness alone. You do not have to fight evil powers of this world alone. God has designed us to be in Christian community with one another so that we might grow in godliness and faith day after day. We are not designed to walk alone. The brokenness that is true in you is true in everyone. It is the brokenness of humanity. But you don't walk alone. From the very beginning, covenant has been a place where we worship on Sundays and we gather in groups during the week. We are a community of groups. We believe God has called every one of us to grow in a group. And if you're not currently in a group, God is calling you to take that step. You can go to covenantconnects.life. You can see just below 
the sermon, uh, a green link that says that there's going to be a group of folks meeting on, on Sunday afternoons here in this space. Pastor Zach is going to be leading the group, and it's going to just deal with some foundational, this is what it means to walk out our faith together. If you're not in a group, this is an easy place to start. It's designed for you to start there. We are not called to walk alone. Jesus invites us to live out our salvation together. I hope you'll take that step. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we, we hear the truth, the truth that reveals to us that, that, that we are in need of a Savior. Each and every one of us, all of us are in need of a Savior. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you that while we are broken, we aren't left there. We are mended and healed and restored by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the work of salvation in Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would use this invitation to connect us to one another so that we are not alone, but we are unified together, walking out our faith day by day.